0: Malcolm Turnbull announced that the laws of math do not apply here.
1: <laughs> one of my favourite brands of comedy aerial is brown people and black people <laughs> making fun of white people.
0: Senators have been dropping like flies recently.
1: Shouting out the fact that in the Knowles Carter family, women just have one name.
0: Backchat on FBI Radio. That's right. You're listening to Backchat, the freshest wrap of news and current affairs on your radio. My name is Madison Connaughton, and the love of all our lives, Swetha Das, is actually away this week. Um, but we've got a very special guest host filling in. Um, welcome to Backchat, Johnny Lou
1: uh I, I, the script said play rap horn but there was a, a, like
0: <laughs> we couldn't get the grab in time we
1: <laughs> get the grab gosh
0: no i know yeah. play rap horn imagine that there's like a perfect
1: there you go there i'm you very go. happy now
0: how are you feeling johnny how- it's very early for you you usually host spin the bottle saturday nights on 8pm
1: so i'm usually not awake by now but um yeah it's good to be it's good to be here you're alive. here
0: you're bright-eyed you're ready to talk about politics
1: I don't know about bright-eyed but i'm ready to talk about politics
0: Um, Okay, well, you're in the hot seat. What is the big news this week?
1: Yeah, so there was really one story that dominated headlines this week, and that was the summit between US President Donald Trump and North Korean leader Kim Jong-un in Singapore earlier this week. Uh, The two men signed a joint statement, which The Guardian has a copy of. We'll pop it up on Twitter for anyone who wants to have a read. Um, But essentially, yeah, Trump hailed the agreement as a first bold step, but uh, many diplomacy experts said that America was giving up a lot and getting very little. Uh, Nicholas Kristof, an opinion columnist for the New York Times, said America was outfoxed by North Korea, agreeing to uh, end war games with South Korea in exchange for a commitment to denuclearization on the Korean Peninsula.
0: Yeah, I don't... I mean, my main takeaway from this, and it's not a very unique thing to say about anything to do with Trump, but it did really feel like the summit was structured like an entertainment program, you know, like... I don't want to say reality TV because that's like a cliche at this point. But it was very like, will they, won't they? The summit was on, the summit was off. Like, and then even when we got to the to the the talks in Singapore, there were so many, like, memeable moments like this is the viral most moments. viral moments exactly like this was like the most memeable peace talk since like the versailles treaty <laughs> that's like a really bad joke i'm sorry you've been telling me not to say it all but morning there you
1: go That's good yeah no i think one of the viral moments that really caught my eye was uh the usb fan that was handed out to journalists and the uh, as part of the goodie bag
0: you wrote a story about this yeah i did yeah. so
1: um it kind of freaked out uh cybersecurity experts because Essentially, long story short, with uh, USB devices, um, four years ago they found out, well, these two security researchers were able to hack into uh, a, any USB device and install malicious software on their malware. So, uh, you know, given these fans were... These fans were provided by Singapore, but we don't really know where they actually came from. And if you're a journalist covering covering such a, a sensitive conference like this, to plug in a random USB Device that you have no idea where it came from, and you know might have the potential to, to install software there is kind of a bit freaky. Actually, one thing I also found out is you can get a USB condom, like an actual like a thing that hangs. Like, this is could,
0: because you do the you do the work, you do the research. Do this the is research. how you find these tidbits of exactly.
1: knowledge. Exactly, it's on Amazon, fourteen dollars for a pair. But um, what yeah,
0: is the USB doing?
1: Yeah, so the USB condom essentially stops um, any any data from coming through to the computer. So it only allows for power. So it only allows for a device to be powered. So if you need to charge a battery or power your fan, then, you know, there's no data being exchanged. That
0: is not what I thought that it was going to be. So there was also my favourite... I mean, cybersecurity experts weren't the only ones being, like, careful slash paranoid, whichever way you see it. The... um, Moment when they went to sign the treaty. So, two beautiful fountain pens are laid out, one for Trump, one for Kim. And at the last moment, Kim's sister cuts across and hands him a pen from inside her jacket to sign it with. And there's all these people on Twitter trying to be like, what? Why is she handing him this pen? Why isn't he using the official pen to sign? It's like a real, I guess it was like fear that it would have like. Poison on it? Yeah. Or, it would or explode? Or yeah, something? an exploding
1: pen. It's like, can you actually buy an exploding pen? Can I buy an exploding pen on Amazon? I or think
0: I you, I'm, I'm sure you can. You yep. can buy anything on Amazon these days. Jeff Bezos will get it for you. <laughs> um, and then the other one, of course, was the trailer. The trailer. The moment.
1: Indeed. Um, yeah, so it was, uh, it was. The Americans had created it and uh, obviously we know that Kim Jong-un is a big fan of um, Hollywood films and, um, yeah, I guess they made a trailer that wasn't a Hollywood style. Here's what it sounded like.
2: Pictures presents A Story of Opportunity A new story A new beginning One of peace Two men Two leaders One destiny
1: Featuring President Donald Trump and Chairman Kim Jong Un in a meeting to remake history. Love it. It's. A, it's Would a, watch one hundred percent. It reminds me like of one of those um, trailers you'd watch before, like the Super Bowl or something. I don't know. It's like, well, it's like a Scientology trailer. Even it's just really like high action, high intensity. Yeah. Um,
0: I think my favorite thing was you found something about. So Destiny Pictures apparently was the one who um, who did it.
1: Yeah, they was like it's like Destiny Pictures presents, but uh, there's actually a real Destiny Pictures. But the founder of the company who is based in Hollywood. Um, has distanced himself from the creation of the film. Uh, the film was actually created by the White House National Security Council. And I guess um, Destiny Pictures is like a metaphor, I guess.
0: I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say the US National Security Council should have better things to do than putting together trailers on their computer. That's true. Film trailers on their iMovie.
1: Probably would have been fun, though.
0: Yeah, it would have been fun. <laughs> also, I love that Dennis Rodman was in the trailer dunking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was the best moment.
1: That's right. That was another memorable moment here yeah. on CNN. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's so many. There's so
1: many. We can keep going on. We
0: we only have half an hour. That's true. I think the main thing to talk about these chats, it, it, to chat about these talks, is we really don't know what the outcome will be. There's a real disconnect between what is... Um, going to happen on the American side, on the North Korean side. What does denuclearisation mean in, like, real terms? That's yet to be seen.
1: Exactly. It's just a handshake so far and an agreement, so to speak. Yeah. Who knows?
0: I think the other really big story this week um, in Australia and, you know, something that deserves, like, a whole hour, two hours, you could spend a long time talking about this, um, but it's. I think it's really important to mention is um, the death of Eurydice Dixon in, in Melbourne. Um, so she was a 22-year-old comedian um, who was attacked um walking home from a comedy gig in Melbourne. Um, and just a bit of a content content warning here, we are going to be talking about sexual assault and violence towards women. Um, but essentially, um, she was cutting through Princess Park, which if you've ever been to Melbourne, is literally just the, across the road from Melbourne Uni. It's a really popular place for people to go running, and, and it's um, a lot of like sports teams practice there. Um, but sort of, it's alleged at 11 o'clock at night she she was walking across the park to get home from this gig, and she was wearing headphones. And um, it's alleged a 19-year-old man came up behind her and gave her um, grabbed her in a bear hug and pulled her to the ground. Um, and he has handed himself into police um, and has been charged with sexual assault and um, and and murder.
1: Um- yeah, and it, the whole incident has been angering, to say the least, but also as well, Victoria Police came out with a, a warning for people to have situational awareness and make sure that they have their mobile phone on them. Um, the homicide detective working the case said, my message is that people need to be aware of their own personal security and be mindful of their own surroundings. Yeah,
0: yeah. There, and there's, I mean, so... To- the Victorian Premier, Daniel Andrews, came out and said that, you know, this was, wasn't the role of, of... It wasn't women's jobs to to keep themselves out of harm's way. I mean, I think that that was a pretty strong statement from, from him, particularly, um, you know, c- directly contradicting what the police said, the police minister said. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know... I feel like this conversation happened again and again. I lived in Melbourne um, during the death of Jill Ma and the death of Masa Vakodic, mm-hmm. who was a 17-year-old who was um, who was stabbed to death in a park in, in Melbourne. And I think it's it's really hard because the police do come out and, and say every single time, like, women need to um, make sure that they keep themselves safe, like, they need to be careful. Um, and I think that there's a real level of condescension in that um, advice from police and the idea that women aren't careful a hundred percent of the time like the idea that violence and the threat of violence doesn't police our lives all the time like that's you just don't know then if you think that women aren't careful like you know not to Go into it too much, but I was walking home from a friend's house last night, and once I turned off a main street onto my um, my street, which is like a quiet side street, I took my headphones out and I walked down the middle of the street, and I had my phone on me, and that fear is always there, and you know, like I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was there for Eurydice when she was walking across that park. Like you're always scared, and it's so tiring to be scared all the time when you're, yeah. like, just walking, trying to walk home because you, like, you know, couldn't get an Uber or even, you know, getting an Uber isn't safe, getting a taxi isn't safe. Like, where are you safe?
1: Yeah, exactly. And you said it was, like, it's like muscle memory too. It's just something that you...
0: Yeah, it wasn't... I didn't even think about it. I just turned onto the street, took my headphones out, you know, got my phone out, was, like, texting my friend who I'd just left. It's It's, like... It's tiring and it's like it it really does wear you down after a while to constantly be, you know. The the idea that women aren't situationally aware is just so condescending.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, Also, as well, last night I read an essay by Tom Ma speaking of Jill Ma, who's uh, Jill Ma's husband, and he was talking about, um, you know, often in these situations, actually, just generally speaking, that we think of these men who commit these crimes as. being, you know, like existing in a vacuum, and that they're they it's like that mo- the monster complex. It's like they're so different to everyone else, but like you know, a lot of a lot of these incidents that happen towards women are by you know men who are known to the to the victim and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, it's 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 important to be aware that socialization is is is, is a, a big factor into you know why these men are this are these, are these ways. Totally. Yeah. I mean,
0: like the Australian Institute of Health and, and Welfare says that intimate partner violence causes more illness, disability and deaths than any other risk factor to women 25 to 44. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it isn't just the stranger in the park. It's everywhere. Um, but if you do um, want to pay your respects to Eurydice Dixon and um, also um, all of the, the women and... GNC people and trans people and women of colour who have experienced um, uh, violence and have been murdered this year. Um, Please go along to the vigil that's going to be held at the Archer Board Fountain in Hyde Park on Monday at 5.30pm. The organisers ask that you bring a candle with you. Um, And, you know, it's going to be a really sad moment, but um, I hope it's going to be a moment of incredible solidarity as well. so we are going to go to a track right now. Um, but when we come back, we're going to have a chat with Michaela Whitborn from the Sydney Morning Herald about defamation in Australia and a really interesting case where a man is trying to sue Google for defamation. This is Courtney Barnett with Nameless Faceless. That was Courtney Barnett with Nameless Faceless. And right now we've got... A really interesting interview, one I've been looking forward to doing for a little while. But um, just as a bit of background, so Australia has some of the toughest defamation laws in the world. So it's no wonder there are calls for an overhaul of the system, which has seen a rise in cases involving search engines and social media sites, including Facebook and Twitter. On Thursday, New South Wales Attorney General Mark Speakman released a long overdue review of Australia's uniform defamation laws, saying they need to be. Be more tech savvy the review has made a number of other recommendations to bring our laws into the 21st century so to talk about all this we have legal affairs and investigative reporter from the sydney morning herald michaela whitbourne to have a chat about australia's defamation laws hey michaela hello how are you going good good
1: yeah so um give us a rundown of the current state of um, australia's defamation laws because it's probably a little bit behind yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, so this is hugely exciting. So Australia passed broadly uniform defamation laws back in 2005 and they um, entered into force around January 2006 in most states and territories. Um, Now those laws were based on 1976 um, defamation laws in New South Wales so they were already pretty out of date when it came to considering technological advancement and now they're super out of date. So when the review was, um, there was a review of those laws plated when the laws first came into force, and that was supposed to be done on the fifth anniversary of the laws. um, And New South Wales was supposed to take the lead. Now that review has been held up for years, and it just came out not this Thursday, but the Thursday before. um, And it's made a few not recommendations, but um, proposals for things to be considered across the states and territories, and that includes things that would help reduce the number of. Publications on social media that are being sued over at present, which is an increasing problem and also just things that would um, help rectify problems with the laws more generally and how they're applying to big media organisations. So um, it's a pretty broad brush sort of review. And I'm sure it's going to take a lot of time to work through, but there's a lot of really interesting stuff that's recommended to be considered.
0: Michaela, it's been a big week for defamation stories in Australia, I feel. Like there was the yeah, the Rebel the rebel Wilson case where her um, payout from Bauer Media was reduced from several million dollars to $600,000. And then yeah. the one I'm obsessed with is um, Millerad
2: Trujillo, is that right?
0: Um, Who has been okay? Got it. Um, Who has been given the go-ahead by the High Court, I believe, to sue Google for defamation? Can you tell us a little bit about this case?
2: Yes, that's a super interesting one. Now, this is a guy who's been um, engaged in legal battles with Google and other search engines for quite some time, and I think the first time he took action against them was about 2012. Um, Now, in all cases. What he's been saying is that search results, including images and um, autocomplete phrases that pop up if you type his name into a search engine, um, defame him by suggesting that he's linked to underworld figures in Melbourne, which is not true. He's not connected to them, um, and so he won a case back in twenty twelve or a couple of cases, um, and he was he received damages as a result of that. Um, he's suing Google again because he wants his name essentially removed. Um, from the internet so that you don't see it when you um, type his name into Google, nothing comes up. Um, And there's been a really long and protracted uh, legal battle about this starting in 2015 when the Victorian Supreme Court said that um, those search results are capable of defaming him and the case could continue. Google then took that to the Victorian Court of Appeal who said that these search results weren't capable of defaming him and knocked the case out before it had even proceeded to a trial. So, summarily dismissed the case. Um, and then this, this Milorad Chikulia uh, then took that case to the High Court and the High Court has ruled in his favour and said that the Victorian Court of Appeal got it wrong. These search results are capable of defaming him and then it would be up to a judge or jury to decide if it did defame him and the case should proceed. Um, So, that will then return to the Supreme Court for a hearing. So, it's given him the green light to proceed, but there's been no actual finding about whether or not he was defamed and, you know, if so, what damages should be paid.
1: Um, If Google's not successful in this particular case, what impact will this have? Um, What's the fallout here for tech companies and, um, I guess, media companies generally?
2: Yeah, so this is a huge problem for uh, people who, or companies that are regarded not as a primary producer of defamatory material, but might um, disseminate it in some way further down the line. And there's lots of interesting questions that have not been resolved yet about whether, for example, a search engine is a publisher. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, one of the defences that Google wants to rely upon is that it's just an innocent disseminator of this material but that means that it has to be able to describe itself as a subordinate distributor of this material, Um, and that means that it it can't know that the material is defamatory, and its lack of knowledge about that can't be due to any negligence on its part. So if it can't make that out, then it might be regarded as a publisher of that material rather than a subordinate distributor. And that's a really difficult legal question, and it's one that hasn't been resolved, and it's something that might be considered by this review of defamation laws that's been kicked off by New South Wales, So while the High Court has kind of raised or sort of resolved some issues around what Google might be sued for, there's still a lot of unanswered questions and this is really only a starting point and the law could be changed, the actual statute could be changed in a way that might make it um, easier for tech companies to avoid liability for this sort of thing, but we just don't know yet.
0: I think it's so interesting that you say that um you know Google is facing the prospect of being labeled a, a publisher because it seems like that's pretty similar to what Facebook has been trying to avoid for the last couple of years as well.
2: Yes, yeah, that's right. And it and it sort of raises quite interesting factual questions that, about the point at which a tech company might be regarded as a publisher. Mm. So you might a publisher might a company might not be a publisher at the point at which that material is uploaded by a third party. But if they then have noticed that it's there and don't take it down, are they a publisher at that point because they haven't done anything to rectify something that's allegedly defamatory? So there are questions that need to be answered, things that are still being worked out and things that are being debated and will probably comprise part of this review that's being conducted at a national level.
0: Michaela, it's often said, and I think this comes up a lot for journalism, I'm sure it comes up for you, Johnny, in your work as well, but that Australia has some of, quote, the strictest defamation laws in the world. Like, is that true? And if so, why are they so strict?
2: It is true. um, And that's because we don't have some of the provisions that make it a little bit harder to sue um, that exist in other countries. So, um, in Britain, there have been some changes to the law that just make it a little bit harder to sue. For example, there's a serious harm threshold, which means that a plaintiff needs to show that their um, reputation was seriously harmed before the case could proceed. We don't have a provision like that here, so you can sort of litigate over things that are potentially quite trivial um, and go through the time and expense of a trial um, before you can employ this defence of triviality, which essentially does the same thing, but at a much later stage in proceedings. Um And in the US, there's this public figure doctrine, which means it's really quite hard for a public figure to sue for defamation. We don't have that here, so politicians do sue for defamation, not infrequently. Um, So there's just a lot more occasion on which you can be sued for defamation in Australia than in other parts of the world.
1: Do you think um, Australia's defamation laws are stifling the Me Too movement here? I guess there's a handful of cases in the moment, but it's not on the same level as it has been in the US.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess that's possible. I guess the public seek adoption could be assisting with those sorts of cases being reported in the US and certainly um, we would always be mindful of the risk of defamation proceedings in Australia. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily defamation law that's holding us back, but I'm sure it wouldn't be helping
0: I think um, if we can get into the weeds a little bit on this, because you are the smartest legal mind in the Australian media. <laughs> um, ah, okay, but cool. the the part of all of this that I'm kind of really interested in is there's talk about um, allowing um, corporations to sue for defamation. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, like, on on the surface, that seems. I mean, kind of um, reflective of the US view that, like, corporations are people. Um, uh, yeah, which
2: is the law. Um, a, a company is a, a person in the eyes of the law. Um, is but, that yeah, a problem, it raises though? Yeah, questions. Um, okay, so Australia is quite interesting in having this provision in its defamation law that companies, and not all companies, but larger companies, can't sue for defamation. And um, that, that is reflective of a public policy sort of balance that was struck. You know, companies can sue for other things like injurious falsehood, where they would have to show that there'd been some kind of um, financial damage and a a person acted maliciously when they were publishing something about them. So they could use that. And there are other ways that they could protect their reputation and their financial interests. Um, So that's the balance that's been struck in Australia. Corporations have other means to protect themselves. And really, defamation law should be aimed at people, humans, who um, can protect their reputation in that way. Um, There are interesting questions about whether or not the law should be changed so that companies can be sued again. Obviously, media outlets would say no, and that it would have a chilling effect on free speech, and we'd be hit with a number of suits, you know, potentially every day when we said things were um, unflattering about companies. Um, But there are questions about whether or not this restriction on companies being able to sue has in some respects distorted the law and led companies to rely on other causes of action to get injunctions to stop us printing stories um, ahead of publication, obviously. Um, And whether or not, if we just allowed companies to sue again, maybe they'd have to meet a higher threshold in getting an injunction. So it's really messy. Um, On the face of it, it would be terrible for media organisations if all companies were allowed to sue again. Mm -hmm. Um, And in many respects, if a company or an individual in a company has been detained, that person can still sue for defamation. So, uh, you know, like, while someone like BH, a company like BHP couldn't sue for defamation, if the chief executive was, you know, described in unflattering terms in a personal sense, they could sue. So often, you know, it doesn't really um, prevent a person from bringing a defamation action, but it just stops us being stifled in um, reporting on things that are of public interest, concerned with big business. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. This is not something that the government has said should happen, and I think that's really important to note. So in this uh, discussion paper, essentially, that the New South Wales government has put out, it says it believes the balance has already been struck correctly, but this is something that could be discussed by the states and territories. Um, I believe that's been included in there because some stakeholders did say in their submissions to that review that they think the law should be changed so that all corporations can sue. One of the stakeholders that thinks they should is the New South Wales Bar Association whose members, obviously, who do defamation work would benefit from that sort of arrangement, but they might have also public policy reasons why they think it's a good thing.
1: Nice. Um, Well, Michaela, thanks for chatting to us. Um, We'll keep an eye out on how this case plays out. Um, I'd love to pick your brain (laughs) another time (laughs) because that was great. Um, Yeah, thank you again.
0: But that's all we've got time for this week. Thanks to our guest, Michaela Whitbourne, and, of course, to you, Johnny Lou. Thank you for filling the... the shoes, the um the the big shoes of Swetha Das, who will no, be back next week. Shoes. You did great. Thanks. Um and always thanks to our producers Natalie Sekolovska and Amelia Zhao, we would be lost without them. Um to finish up we want to leave you with a track. Um this is from Girl Unit. It's their remix of W Y W D with Kalella.